we can become great at doing the the things that we do well, the things that are, we focus on. Like I'm, I think our audience is great at selling liberty. I think we have yeah. been amazing at doing that. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. You start to ask questions that pique his interest and get him to feel like, okay, this guy's actually got something that maybe can help me out. And then in your asking of questions and trying to uncover the real problems, build that natural trust. I know I went in the monologue there, man. (laughs) Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Well, happy Sunday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us for one of our special throwback episodes here on The Brian Nichols Show. Going back to 2018, once again, we are sitting down with Michael T. Hutchins talking about his book, Irreconcilable Politics, Our Rights Under a Just Government. And what a great conversation is digging through, really, different models of how we have differing political views that exist but do not impinge on agreements being reached, but also dissecting the dynamics of modern social decision-making. A great conversation to be had. So back in the time machine we go, 2018, here we come. So without further ado, onto the show, Michael T. Hutchins here on The Brian Nichols Show. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Again, I've been around for a a while. You know, I I, uh, I was in academia for a very short period of time. and uh, but then so I went in, went into business and uh, went into investment banking, as you mentioned, for for quite a long time. In fact, I spent my entire career there until until actually recently. And uh, and I'd say sort of the, the, the book was something I, I thought about in terms of the concepts and the issues uh, when I was in graduate school, which again was for a very long period of time. But it, it took me a while to sort of uh, have a, uh, have enough time. Uh, to sit down and sort of think through, uh, think through the various issues. But, you know, it's a complicated concept, which is we're in a, we want to be in a common government with, with everyone. We have to make, uh, decisions as, as part of that. But what if we all disagree? We have different ideologies, different worldviews. And so then what is the best way to, to make decisions and, and, uh, and to structure governmental decisions when we have such, such radical differences? And when I started it, I tell you the truth, I, I thought there were probably, like a lot of things, you, you really couldn't come up with, uh, you know, a, a cogent answer. And it was just like the world's too complicated. Uh, you know, it is what it is. But but I was somewhat surprised that that actually I think for at least for a con- country like the United States, I, I think there is a, a structure that that uh, that would work better than than probably what we currently have. Want to support the Brian Nichols show? Please consider making a one-time PayPal donation at the Brian Nichols show at gmail.com or join the Patreon at B Nichols Liberty. In your uh, your book, I know one of the main themes is the idea of collectivity. So needing uh, to reform the government structure and the modern social decision-making of the 21st century under this idea of, of the collectivity. So if you could speak to that, not only in terms of the, the book, but also kind of where we are in the political climate today, obviously with a very polarized uh, political structure with, with the presidency of Donald Trump and and those on the, the left and right almost kind of getting into their own collective selves. So I started this book, you know, seven, seven or eight years ago. And, and 
So I think it was it was true then. I think it's obviously true now. And to tell you the truth, it's probably true when we were only three million people, and you know, in the in the in the seventeen hundreds. But you know, government is a valuable institution. It provides laws and rules that allow people to, to better cooperate. But the critical issue is that people have different ideologies. They have different politics. Uh, some want big government, and, and obviously some want small. And we have different views on taxes, police tactics, gun control, uh, death penalty, abortion, government regulation. You know, we disagree about goals, and we disagree about methods to accomplish goals, even that we that we agree with. So, if you have government that that represents the will of the people, you're asking for a nearly impossible task for them to reconcile these different. These different views and, and the, the key uh, power that that as uh, citizens that we have in the United States are, are we have voting and we have freedom of the press, we have, we have right to assemble and we have public debate and, and reasoning. But given all the differences of opinion that we have there and the 300 million people, th- these rights in and of themselves are just not sufficient uh, uh, for us. You know, public reasoning debate will only get you so far. Uh, you know, some will want to ignore the views of others, viewing them as you know selfish or irrational, and not reasonable. But in democracy, you simply cannot uh, ignore other people. They they have rights to their views, and what I call in the book, they have the right to be wrong, not from their point of view, but they have the right to be wrong from from your point of view <laughs> if you if you disagree with them. And, and and so then what you wind up with um, when you have a centralized power like we have in the U.S is you wind up with compromise. It's either compromised by, you know, by Congress, uh, or if they can't agree, you wind up with a status quo or, or some compromise in, in, the, in the Supreme Court. And, and, and whatever that compromise is, whatever it is, it's going to be intensely disliked by a lot of people. And so that's where we are today. So we have, we, we, we make decisions or, or, we, or we have status quo, and we have lots of disagreement, as you, um, as you point out. So the, the book takes that as sort of the starting point. And then there are two main conclusions that come out of it, and not lots of small ones. But the two main conclusions is one that, that probably most of, of your audience would, would say, well, this is sort of obvious. And, and why do you take as many pages to say this? But it, we're uh, one global government is, is not optimal. It's sort of hard to imagine that everyone in the world, but I think it's an important thing to think about. Could everyone in the world, all the differences of opinion that exists in the world, could you imagine everyone living under one uniform set of laws? <laughs> even, even if that government were, demo, were democratic and we vote. So, so it shows you that it says, look, we're, we're not all supposed to be in one government. And if you allow people to be in, subject to different laws and to be different governments, then they're going to they're going to be able to be subject to laws that that are more ones they prefer. Now, some people don't care about about the laws. Um, and and the, the, for this point of view, that, that they don't matter in some sense, but uh, they're willing to accept different laws. Other people, you know, care passionately. And so you take that to the next logical thing. Well, how about for a country like the United States? And what it says for a country like the United States is that we should be federalist, but a little different type <laughs> of federalist government that we have today. It should be a more limited federal government. The, the federal government just too powerful over domestic authorities, you know, it, it has uh, it's you know 300 million people gives you tremendous power in terms of defense, uh, given the the large uh, you know economies of scale for for defense. But you don't have those economies of scale on domestic rules. So you need lots of people, but you don't need 300 million people to agree on uh, how you uh, on what abortion should be or on what gun control should be or 
or what your police tactics or whether we should have a death penalty or not. People can, can, can disagree about those and yet be, and then, but yet be part of a, of a common government that's worried about, uh, a word about defense. So, so that's where that, 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 that leads you. And that doesn't mean that there's not certain domestic rules that, that we can all agree to. Uh, I mean, again, it's right. Some people disagree, but, but for the most part, almost every U S citizen is going to say, look, people shouldn't be persecuted. There there shouldn't be slavery. And, And if you have different domestic governments, there shouldn't be violence between those domestic governments. But there, you know, there are very few other, rules that that almost everyone is going to uh, agree with and and given how the welfare clause and the commerce clause are currently interpreted the 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 federal government has this tremendous power over over a lot of domestic rules so what the book concludes is uh you shouldn't have a federal government with the with the current powers that domestic powers uh that that uh that uh, you know the federal government has today and so therefore you need to you need other decisions you need a lot you need rules that domestic rules and so how should those be uh decided on and what so the book argues is that it's not about states rights because the states themselves have their own issues each one of the states is pretty much a what i call a general government that they're they're not none are federalists themselves and so the better way to think about it what if we had regional governments and some of those regions could be formed or organized and have the rules and laws that that maybe the Democratic Party would say that, I, you know, I love all those rules. And then you could have another regional government, which is itself federalist. Why are there any states that are federalist themselves that that push decision making down into, you know, other states or regions or counties or municipalities? And I, I argue I, for a reason why I think that occurred in the U.S., but. But I think that's what you given all the different differences of opinion we have in the U.S., that structure where you have different kinds of domestic governments, some large, powerful themselves, some very small, some maybe big themselves. But again, they push decision making down uh, into uh, into more local localized things. I think that structure will allow all the 300 million people that exist in the U.S. to live under laws that that are. That are closer to the ones that uh, um, that that they prefer. So there's sort of a, a choice right. in in domestic governments. That makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, I mean, somebody up in Maine is going to have a very different perspective as to gun control versus somebody living in, let's say, Los Angeles, California. Um, but then somebody in Alaska is going to have a very different perspective on environmental uh, concerns than somebody, let's say, in Florida. So. I, I think a lot of not only just libertarians, but just limited government folks in general would agree with the premise that having a government that's going to be more localized um, to that specific area is going to be definitely a better solution than what we currently have in place. This month, The Brian Nichols Show is sponsored by Stay Away From Libertarians, written by friend of The Brian Nichols Show, Remzo Martinez. In Stay Away From Libertarians, Martinez leads us on a journey through the many myths surrounding libertarianism, explores the libertarian worldview, and debunks these preconceived notions one by one in a humorous but thorough manner. Stay Away From Libertarians has received rave reviews from Low Conservative, The Daily Wire, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, The Lions of Liberty, and of course, yours truly, Brian Nichols, here from The Brian Nichols Show. Get your copy today by visiting rwmartinez.com forward slash book. Again, rwmartinez.com forward slash book. Don't miss out on this masterpiece by Remzo Martinez. rwmartinez.com forward slash book. 
But that being said, it actually raises a question I had. So obviously, currently, the United States is based on uh, our founding document, the Constitution of the United States, and, and with that, the Bill of Rights. Um, so so how would you, I guess, um, be able to reconcile the the current setup that is having the Constitution being the, the overall law of the land, and then with that, the, the associated rights that are, are granted to the citizens, or, or rather, not granted to the citizens, but rights rather that the, the government cannot infringe upon, so among them the right to free speech, uh, you know, right to bear arms, right to privacy, etc., etc. Um, would we have a, a situation where, you know, regional government A in the Northwest is maybe not taking into consideration uh, free speech rights um, because they're their populace is not in favor of free speech. And then maybe, you know, population, uh, regional population B up in, you know, the, or down in the, the, the Southwest, they, they aren't for, uh, guns. So they, they get rid of the right to, to bear arms. What's your, uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, uh, again, unless you can say, look, everyone can, uh, we can all agree on, on certain things. So, you know, I, I think there's very few people that, that would say, look, you shouldn't have freedom of the press or, you shouldn't have the right to assemble or you shouldn't have the right to vote or you shouldn't have the right to public debate. I, I think it's very hard to find very many people that say would say those. But obviously, you're going to find a lot of people that say uh, 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 you shouldn't have the right to uh, to to bear arms. You're going to have people that say, uh, uh, you know, uh, women shouldn't have the right to have uh, uh, abortion and others obviously uh, uh, violent or, you know, obviously have to have a different view or there shouldn't be a death penalty and so forth. So those you're gonna you're gonna have lots of disagreement. And those were where the big where the big disagreements are. And so yeah, you could see different parts of the of the country um, have those views. But but it's not just local government because a lot of people. And I think this is where the I the book I think is a little different than than some of the other things that have been because people a lot of people have actually argued for less local government. But but what I think. Uh, there are certain people, uh, we'll call it people in the Democratic Party, that actually want big government. They they want to, I mean, they want uh, what want a goal of equality. Right. And so to get equality, you got to have a lot of people. Maybe you will have a hundred million people, fifty million people, that that you really want to be part of that. And they're saying, look, I'm willing to pay high taxes, but I want a bunch of other people to pay high taxes too, out of a sense of uh, of, of fairness. And so they don't want to be in a little small regional government or, or small, small community government, they want the, that big power that you get from, uh, from what they really want in the federal government. Um, and so that's really what the book argues is that you can have maybe the whole Northeast to be, be a government. And, you know, again, when the United States started, there were only 3 million people. It was the size of, you know, not about Kansas. And so, so you can get, <laughs> you, you can get, uh, you know, 50 million, 75 million, a hundred million people it gives you a lot of buying power. And gives you a lot of economies of scale. You don't need 300 million for domestic rules, even though 300 million is great for uh, for international. So that that that's the different perspective. I think the book comes at. That. Connect with Brian on Twitter and Facebook at B Nichols Liberty, and send your comments and questions to the Brian Nichols Show at gmail.com. Let's discuss, I guess, within those specific areas, shall we? So, um, obviously, one of the issues I, I would see coming up is the fact that there are going to be people who aren't in the 50 plus one majority in the democracy, if you will, who necessarily agree with their region's rules or, or their regional rules. So how would we in this type of society be able to respect the rights of the minority, even though it's in the, I say minority being the 49% in whatever populace it is, 
how would these regional governments be able to respect those rights of the minority? And with that, what recourse would the minority have in case um, they were, in fact, oppressed upon by that simple majority of, uh, of people in their, their area? Well, uh, again, uh, unfortunately, um, in, a, in, a, in a government, you don't have uh, you, you need to make decisions. And the, the rights that we have as citizens of the U.S. and the Constitution, they, these guys did an amazing job in terms of, of coming up with, uh, with, the, with those rules. So I really do think it's voting and freedom of the press and right to assemble. Look, you need to have a, a Congress. It's really, there really isn't, I, my point of view, much choice beyond that. And there are certain things that you, you want a Constitution to protect and give you certain rights that you don't want anybody to uh, – uh, th- that really designed to protect the minority. So I think each one of these regions would need a very strong constitution that protected minority rights, minority view rights, and gave people, again, rights to vote and, and, uh, and so forth. And again, doesn't mean that we're not going to have certain laws at the federal level that apply to everyone in the United States. But these are, these are laws that, that again, that doesn't that's not really causing any controversy. Like I said before that, you know, n- no one's subject to slavery and, and, and you can't, uh, you can't persecute other people. Those are pretty easy kind of laws. I think for everyone to sort of agree with it's, it's the, where you have disagreement is where the issue is. So each one of these regional governments should have a strong constitution themselves, very similar. And what one of the, the book is very similar to the U S constitution. Um, however, there are certain parts of the U.S. Constitution what that region may, may disagree with, like uh, gun laws and so forth. And so there they can say, yeah, I, I'm going to I'm, I'm not going to have that. And they, so the book isn't practical in a sense. It doesn't tell you here. Here's the roadmap to get to get here. All it wants. All it's trying to do is from a theoretical point of view. What is the best structure of government given all the different ideologies and worldviews that we have in the U.S.? If you know what that is. Smarter people than me, I think, can figure out, you know, how you how you how you maybe you can get to that over time. Enjoying today's episode? Take a second to share today's episode with family and friends on social media. Want to do even more? Swing over to iTunes and give the Brian Nichols show a rate and review. It, it, I think it's it's a uh, captivating because we're actually seeing a lot of people coming to these same conclusions that you are. They're just doing it in a little bit different way. So I'll give an example. Back a couple months ago, I had William F. Buckley O'Reilly on my show. Uh, he's the uh, chairman pro tem for the the Federal Society uh, of America, and it was it was a fantastic conversation because I mean it, it's kind of taking the approach that you're discussing here. Only it was uh, taking the current structure that we have in place. You know, trying to just just scale back the infrastructure that we have with with the federal government going back to more of its constitutional role. And then with that, having the, the states and the localities within those respective states having more control in their, their own kind of day-to-day lives. So I kind of see like this this really strong, fervent desire for almost like this federalist, voluntary society. And I got to tell you, as, as somebody who I, I classify as a small L libertarian still within the the larger Republican Party, it gives me hope, you know, that there's... There is this this movement that's coming out where more and more people are, are starting to say, hey, you know... The, the overarching Leviathan state that is the federal government, it, it's not answering our, our questions and, and solving the issues we have the way we want because I think people are starting to realize that it's all contingent on whoever's in power 
And right now we're seeing a lot of the left who are upset, obviously, with with the, the Donald Trump presidency. But prior to that, 2008 to 2016, a lot of it was the, the inverse, where you had the, the right who was irate with the, the idea of a, a Barack Obama presidency. So I think maybe they're, both sides are kind of coming to this, this realization that maybe it's not the person who's in power. It's that that person, when they're in power, has the power to begin with. I think it's exactly the issue. I think we're just asking for the federal government to do too much. It's just not not capable of making everyone happy um, at, at the end of the day because of all the disagreement of the people they're trying to make happy uh, from from that. And, and again, that's part of why people think the, the so much debate I think we have around even the Supreme Court is where you know the, the federal government has so much power and therefore decisions that are made by the Supreme Court, apply to everyone in, in the United States over a vast number of, of domestic decisions. And so each person that sits on the Supreme Court is, is that much more important than, than mm-hmm. the otherwise would be given the power of the, of the federal government. Federal government had a lot less power, domestic power, then obviously you still need the Supreme Court, but the decisions that that Supreme Court makes over you on a domestic basis are, are, are you know, less important if the federal government has no authority. So going back to, I guess, we keep on coming back to the idea of the domestic government, really, the, the responsibilities yeah. of, of working domestically. But obviously, you know, foreign affairs is, is a very real issue. The global society is more intertwined than it has been ever. So, I mean, with that, how would this kind of approach to government, how would that work in a global society where the realities of the world, where we're, we're already working with these countries, both in terms of in our entangling alliances, but also in terms of economics, you know, trading with China, we're putting sanctions on Russia. How would this type of system work in, in our contemporary global climate? Well, unfortunately, uh, again, if you want the, the economies of scale of defense, uh, which are very important, especially in the world that we live in today, you need a lot of people. And there, and those people are going to disagree about how you conduct your international affairs. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a, there's a solution to that. Your only solution is to be smaller governments so that you can be more comfortable with the decisions that the government is making on international. But you give up again the 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 defense that comes from and the safety of coming with a large government. So I think on the international side, I think you just have to live with the uh, with a disagreement, but where you can reduce the anxiety uh, is on the dom- on the domestic side. And so I think you wind up with a world, if you were doing this all over again, you wind up with a world of multiple governments, people. There's not enough agreement in the world where everybody can get and be this one, this one uh, government, but then each one of those governments is a little different. If you have a government, if you have a group of people that all basically agree, let's assume they're the same religion or for some reason they, 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 they don't, they have the same ideology. Then you, again, for that government, there's no reason why they, they can't be a unitary. They don't need to be federalist. But for a country like the United States, as large and broad as as much disagreement as we have, that's where, where federalism, uh, is needed. And the important aspect of that is that there is going to be, again, these multiple domestic governments and they're still going to have conflicts. But, but, but there are two ways, again, of cooperation. One is to have a centralized rule, but the other way is decentralization. And I think that's what we missed initially with with uh, I was you know, again the Supreme uh, the, the founding fathers did a tremendous job with the Constitution, but I think again with the Commerce Clause that they asked for for too much. And and, and again, it, it makes sense that you want to have free movement of goods and services and and people across the 
across the country. But if you ask a centralized government to make all the rules around that, you're going to wind up with a lot of, of power. And you're asking basically the Congress to make those decisions. That's where you're going to have this issue. So what the book argues is a better way would have been maybe to have a common market where you would have had a, a different way for these states or regional governments to, to come together. Mm-hmm. And you have and you'd have the risk that you have something like they have in Europe, which is you have a Brexit. But but that's but that's what you you have to give people that right to say there's certain rules I don't like. And so therefore, I can make different d- domestic rules. You're still part of a common United States government. So you can't secede. <laughs> but but you can you but you can say I'm not going to be part of your your um, common market with all the rules. We won't we want a lot of the things for the common market, but there are certain aspects of that that you're not going to have. So and so if the U.S. government had less power in our, uh, domestically, you know, its ability to sort of control how all goods come into the United States would be less. So there'd be less disagreement about how you trade with China and, 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 and so forth, because maybe that wouldn't be a power that the federal government had control over unless there was some, you know, threat from, they could probably, you know, say XYZ government is, uh, is, is, you know, is a threat to, to us. Uh, and then, then the, then it would kick in. So you'd need a lot. It'd be a little noise and, and difficulty around that definition. But I think that's the, I think that's the key is that you find some decentralized way for these domestic governments to cooperate with each other. And, and we see that all the time with, with, uh, with, with corporations. I mean, corporations get economies of scale, not by hiring everybody in the world, but by entering into agreements with other people to provide services to them. Agreed. And, and so that's really where, again, a, a big part of the, the book is that, you know, there's a economic term called polycentric. And, and I think that's the, I think that's the key here, which is you, you don't have a, a central decision making on domestic rules. It's a polycentric thing where you have all these governments get together and they said, here are the rules we're all sort of willing to live under, but you got to get agreement. And and the key to getting agreement is that you get people's preferences, but you get you get the intensity of their preferences, too, which is, you know, how we make decisions in our own lives. But the the limitation of government is that y- you don't capture people's intensities because voting doesn't capture that. So that's really one of the, the limitations to voting that bargaining and agreements give you. But you can't you can't bargain with uh, with everybody else in the United States <laughs> because you need to make a decision. And if you bargain, it could take forever. So so you got to have a limited number of groups that are that are bargaining with each other to, I think, to make it all efficient. I'm absolutely fascinated to see where people come from in terms of when they're getting ready to write these projects. So obviously, Back in 2007, you're, you're getting ready to start the writing for the book. What was it that really was the the, the tipping point for you to say, "All right, let, let's let's start this book here, um, discussing the you know the, the various divisions we have in America, and maybe a a way to if we can find some some unity, how we can actually approach it." What was the real you know the the tipping off point? Uh, for me, it was it's pretty simple. I uh, I retired. <laughs> from my uh, and so I said I have I have some time here. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and so uh, so I had some extra time. And then uh, a little surprisingly to me, I decided to go back to work. But but uh, but that's what start started it from me. I had a, 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 a you know a, almost a, a, a year there of uh, of time to spend on a, on a project, and so I, I you know I made good use of that uh, made good use of that of that year. So it. 
because I took a decided to go back to work, it slowed the project down quite a bit from uh, what it what it otherwise would have been. All right, well, Mr. Hutchins, I I really appreciate the time. So where where can people go ahead and and purchase this this phenomenal irreconcilable politics? Our rights under a just government. You know, it's it's for sale at uh, on, on uh, at the internet on on you know most of the big uh, big sites, so Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and uh, and so forth. Uh, those are probably the the, the two bigger sites, but there's again, if, if you go on the if you go on the internet, you'll uh, you'll definitely uh, find uh, find the book in uh, multiple forms, whether it's hardback, paperback, or uh, or ebook. And I'll be sure to include the the link to uh, to purchase the book here in the the show notes. Uh, but with that being said, uh, sir, I want to give you uh, the platform here for uh, for your final thoughts for uh, I guess ending the show. What, what people can take away from not only the book but also from uh, from yourself going forward into uh, the end of 2018. Uh, well, I appreciate this. You know, I, I think we need more choice in, in domestic government than that's available to us today. So I'm hoping sooner or later, and maybe not in my lifetime, but uh, but I'm hoping we get that that choice. And and it's a difficult uh, given where we stand today. But just given all the disagreement, uh, as you add more and more people together with different views uh, about things, uh, asking all those people to live under. Uh, one uh, domestic type of, of law uh, is going to cause more and more disagreement over time. So, uh, so I do think we need to uh, to find uh, a, uh, a structural solution to this. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up our throwback episode with Michael T. Hutchins, author of Irreconcilable Politics, Our Rights Under a Just Government. If you enjoyed our throwback episode, well, please do me a favor. Make sure you go ahead and give it a share. And when you do, give me a tag at B. Nichols Liberty. Coming up here on Monday, we are joined by Harrison Kemp talking about his brand new book, Closing Freedom, Sales Guide for Today's Liberty Activist, a great literally hands-on guide for our average everyday libertarian out there looking to make a little bit of a difference in the world so make sure you've hit that subscribe button so you're not missing our awesome episodes that drops tomorrow morning at 5 a.m though that being said it's brian nichols signing off you're on the brian nichols show for michael t hutchins we'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening to the brian nichols show 
find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.